You're listening to Healthy Voices Radio, a podcast by health advocates for health advocates. Join us for real conversations on the ways health impacts our lives, featuring guests from the Healthy Voices community and beyond. Co-hosted by Robert Brining, Brady Dale Etzcorn Morris, and Don M. Gibson. This is Healthy Voices Radio. Healthy Voices Radio is produced and sponsored by Janssen and Johnson & Johnson Medical Devices, the founders of Healthy Voices, a groundbreaking leadership conference created exclusively to empower online health advocates. Before we get start- started, um, a few disclaimers here. If you need medical advice or have questions about your treatment or condition, we urge you to speak with your doctor as we cannot provide any medical advice. Per regulatory guidelines, we are not permitted to discuss any medications or products during the show today. All information shared or later posted about this podcast will be done in a public capacity. For that reason, we will not be sharing any personal or confidential information we don't want others to know. And for the same reason, we will not share any personal information about another person during today's episode. And last but not least, Jansen has paid Robert, Don, and I to host and produce this podcast. All thoughts expressed here are our own. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthy Voices Radio. I am one of your co-hosts, um, Robert Brining. Uh, sorry for that little hiccup there. I wasn't able to see myself. But I'm so excited to be here during Super Healthy Voices Live with my two co-hosts, Brady Dale, Etzcorn Mars, and Don Gibson. Um, welcome, guys. I'm so excited to be here. How about you? Yeah. Um, it has been such an amazing day. Like, I, my cup has run over so much. Like, I'm going to have to get love buckets to like catch all this extra love that's just pouring over today and just bathe myself in it, you know, because 2020 is not over yet. But it's been a great day. How, what about you guys? Uh, Brady, you are so extra that I think you have answered it for me. <laughs> that's crazy so for some of you who aren't familiar the show actually started out as a uh, podcast a way to reconnect people who attended healthy voices conference i remember my first healthy voices i attended brady and i was a broken down advocate returning trying to see if i could start this and um being recharged through the sessions and then by the end of the first conference remember turning around to caroline and Bra- and becky and being like uh, we're going to work together. I don't know how this is going to happen, but it's going to happen, you know, and then going to the second time with 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 Brady, you know, um, and having those late night conversations, you know, after hours, after conference with Chicago deep dish pizza. And those were the real <laughs> conversations we wanted to bring the light. So, you know, that's kind of what Healthy Voices Radio was, you know, kind of birthed about. And I'm just so excited that this year we added a new chair and, and Dawn is with us. It's really exciting. I wasn't uh, sure about being on a podcast, but when you guys called me, I was like, oh, you know, they're so cute and they're so fun. So, yeah, exciting. So, Don, what's today's show about? Uh, well, today we're highlighting how 2020 has reshaped advocacy, just like, I guess, 2020 has reshaped everything about our lives, really. So we're sharing some practical advice. Uh, we're, you know, trying to live and balance uh, our self-care and our leadership in our communities. And, you know, it's, we're also looking at how things are turbulent. And 2020 has forced us to confront some uncomfortable questions about race, 
about social determinants of health and uh, how we determine what's sexual. And we've also, also been talking about the tricky nature of social media because as social health advocates, this is a part of our lives at the same time that we're uh, being told, well, hey, why don't you put it down on social media? Uh, and but everyone's coming at us, you know, for help. So it's it's a lot, but um, I think it's it, it's a it's a series of conversations we have to have. Maybe uh, tell us who's with us today. Hey, Don. Sorry about that. It looks like we're having some audio problems with you at the moment, um, and I did not want to cut you off, but. Uh, in case you all didn't hear, we're just basically we're going to we're being, going to be talking about what is it like to be a new advocate, and especially in 2020, um, how we've had to all change and and maybe pivot a little bit to to take that on. And with us today to help us with that is Shanice Colwell and Gabe Howard. Shanice Colwell is a bariatric advocate who underwent geriatric bypass surgery in October of 2012. This was a gift to herself to try to get her life back on track and optimize her quality of life after many failed attempts at significant long-term weight loss. Denise is now the owner and founder of Lab Work and Fitness, where her passion for helping weight loss uh, surgery clients reach their fitness goals and offer support for this lifelong journey. Built by her continuous uh, pursuit of knowledge and support in the field of nutrition, fitness, and motivation. And as we just saw, a 2020 Impact Fund recipient. Thank you for being here, Denise. And then we also have Gabe Howard. Gabe is a uh, mental health advocate, an award-winning speaker, author, and podcast host who lives with bipolar disorder. He hosts the weekly Psych Central podcast and is the co-host of the Not Crazy podcast. He's the author of Mental Illness as an Asshole and Other Observations <laughs> and has appeared on numerous websites, podcasts, and in many traditional media outlets. So again, thank you both for being with us today. And let's get right into it. Um, Denise, I'll start with you. How did you get into advocacy and what, what made you start? Can you guys hear me or do I have to? I can hear you. Okay. I can hear you. <laughs> I didn't know if my mic was on. Um, I got into advocacy because I would go to support groups for bariatric patients um, after weight loss surgery. Um, bariatrics is weight loss surgery. And I would go to support group meetings and hear these horror stories or stories of regret or people who just felt like, what did I do it for? Um, not really getting the joy out of having had the bariatric surgery. And I didn't want to be that person. So I began to pull and research and find as many resources as I could to see what can I do to make sure that I didn't have that surgery for nothing. So that was the start of my advocacy journey. Well, it, it was the start of the journey for me trying to make sure that I lived the best quality of life after weight loss surgery and utilized my tool in the best way so that I didn't go back to being um, overweight and have health problems. So seeing that and making myself accountable, finding those resources, I wanted to be a help to other people who didn't know how to find those resources. And it just kind of morphed into being an advocate and uh, wanting to be a motivation, wanting to be an inspiration and wanting to be uh, a resource for other people to kind of help them with the journey as well. Awesome. Um, Gabe, same same question to you. What what got you started and why? Much the same way. I was I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at, at 25 years old, but going back, once I was diagnosed, I, I could have easily been diagnosed at 18, probably younger. 
But I, I just think of like all those years that I missed because my family didn't understand mental illness. And I, I always joke and I say, look, I don't, I don't, my, my story is not going to like zag to the left. I'm not about to tell you that my father's an alcoholic or that my mother beat me or that, you know, I'm an orphan. Like none of that happened. I, I came from a very, frankly, boring family. We were just uneducated. We believed that mental illness was something that happened to other people. It, it was a, it was a moral value. It was a, it came from bad parenting, from neglect. So when I had all of these issues, my parents, they just, they just grounded me. They just punished me. They, they thought it was behavioral. They thought they were making me a good person. And this stuck as I got older, older. And I just believed that I was just a really bad person, which it, if you're having depression and you believe that you're bad people or you're a bad person and all of that really stuck with me when I was diagnosed and I thought, wow, my story could have turned out really different if I hadn't ended up in an emergency room and, and you know, been committed to a psychiatric hospital. If, if I would have followed through on my, my suicide plan, this would have all gotten worked out after the fact and that would have just really, well, it would have ended my life. It would have ended my parents' life in a different way. So I thought, wow this is just a misunderstanding. Like, like I just need to tell people this is uh, my honest thought was, okay, it's Monday. I'm just going to explain mental health to everybody. And by Friday, this will be a non-issue. Uh, it's <laughs> taken longer than I thought, but that's what got me into it because I just, I genuinely believed that this was just a lack of understanding and information. Uh, I, I learned very quickly that it was much more complicated, but I just didn't want other people like myself and other families to go through what I went through in order to get something as basic as care. I just right. needed basic care and it was so complicated. And I just thought that was unfair. Thank you guys. It's it's a bit so interesting that it's something basic, you know, like we all know, we all know it's true and we're just trying to, to tell people what's happening. I know that my advocacy began with uh, just vi visibility and I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering how, um, you all feel uh, what you all feel is the most important thing about advocacy. Are you uh, looking to inspire people to motivate them, Shanice? My ultimate goal was accountability for myself, but it again, like I said, it morphed into something more because I saw so many people struggling. So now it has morphed into wanting to be a resource for other people, wanting to be motivation, wanting to be inspiration, wanting people to know that they can be successful and overcome some of the things that we deal with um, because obesity is always there. It, it doesn't go away. The surgery controls it, but we still struggle with those things that got us to that point in the first place. So I just want to be an inspiration and a resource for others to be successful and to overcome. Yeah, that makes sense. Gabe, what about you? World domination. I really thought that the best way to just take over the world and be king of everything was to have bipolar disorder. Because even if I didn't achieve it in real life, like in my own mind, right, I'd, I'd be there. Uh, and I'm only just a little bit joking that before I was diagnosed, you know, mania, grandiosity, this this is built into my brain. That That's part of what bipolar disorder is. And, and it really was untreated for a long time. So 
you know, when I, when I reflect back on my formative years, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be, I want to be famous. I want to be in the public eye. I, before diagnosis, I was, I was a comedian. I was a speaker. I was, these are all, I was an actor. These are all very public facing things. So after I was diagnosed, I thought, okay, well, this is clearly a skill set that I, I have developed. This is clearly something that I do personally enjoy. How can I use those two things and then add a third? And, and that is public good. How can I turn the skill set that I have and a life that I want to enjoy and do some good in the world? And that really became like the, the, the tripod that I built my advocacy on. For whatever reason, I don't mind getting up in front of a room full of people and telling them they're wrong. I, I don't mind trying to, to lead people to my way of thinking. I don't mind delivering the inconvenient truths in, in a world of comforting lies. And when it comes to mental illness, there's a lot. There's a lot yeah. of inconvenient truths. And uh, I, I don't know why I like the sound of my own voice, but I do. That That's really just the bottom line. So it, it became this idea that, look, if I'm going to talk anyway, I need to find the most relevant and beneficial things to say. And and, and that's, I, I believe that's what I have done most of the time. That, that does make sense. And I, I'll admit that, that you have made a, quite an impression uh, on me. And I have reached out to you several times for, um, uh, for information. And, and you've oh, always you. given me uh, what I feel is the most helpful information. And uh, particularly as I try and help um, people dealing with mental health in, in my own life and in, in my own mental health. Um, Shanice, I'm wondering um, how do we as advocates make sense of the impact that we're having? It, with social media, we are looking at likes, we're looking at retweets. In bariatrics, there is often a centering of uh, specific numbers, whether it's the lab results or the, the amount that, that we weigh. So I'm wondering, uh, as an advocate, how do you uh, have a sense of the efficacy and the impact of what you're doing? It's difficult to tell. Um, I won't say difficult. It's challenging. Um, it's just so, such a broad area, um, bariatrics and the community in, in general. It's just such a broad area. It's kind of hard to see what the impact is. But there are so many organizations out there that are there for research, resources and information and education. The information is there, but I often find that People don't know where to go and people don't know where to look. So it's, it's kind of challenging to see the impact that it's having um, unless you get involved in making sure that you're part of reaching those demographics of people who really need that information. Um, African-American women are the highest um, numbers of obesity, uh, suffering with, from obesity. And um, I, I try to do my part. You know, I'm only one smart, small part of the puzzle, but um, getting the information out there and finding ways to connect people to the resources that are there uh, is is the biggest challenge. Um, but it, it it's it's kind of difficult to measure. Yeah. So when we uh, don't have a particular um, thing to measure, um, what will help you keep going in in that context? As far as personal or 
as far as yeah what what helps you stay motivated in your advocacy when it's so much of of what you're doing is going out and uh you may not know where it's landing just making i mean the motivation for me is to just not just not wanting to stop not wanting to leave anybody exposed to the idea that there is help that there are people who are successful that even if it's one person, I just don't want to miss touching that one person, the opportunity to reach that one person. Um, whatever area I have to venture into, um, I'm trying to tap all of my resources so that I can be part of the solution and not part of the problem. That makes sense. Gabe? I, measuring is very difficult, I, I think, at our level. And I, I learn from, you know, healthy voices and, and working with large corporations. I'm like, okay, well, how are you measuring success? And they show me this like multi-million dollar machine. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, the way that you measure success costs more than all of my advocacy combined. We don't have access to those things. So we really do have to go by those personal conversations. You, you know, when, when Dawn tells me like, hey, Gabe, I've reached out to you. You've gotten back to me in a timely manner and your your information was was reliable and I was able to utilize it. I, I've got to tick that off in my favor. Uh, I, I don't go by likes because, it, listen, the, the most likes that I ever get on a post involves my dog, my wife, <laughs> or my granddaughter. Listen, I, I can try to twist that around into advocacy until I'm blue in the face, but I, I, I got nothing. I don't, I don't think that's doing much, but all three of those things are adorable, and I'm very proud of them. Uh, but <laughs> the algorithms are algorithms are algorithms, and the, the bottom line is I'm yeah. never going to get the, the type of uh, oomph out of one of my podcast links as I am out of you know a, a little two-year-old smearing pizza on her face. The, the next thing that I try to remember is uh, uh, advice that I got a really long time ago when I was doing stand-up comedy. And the, the advice was, was really, you need to listen to your peers. You need to figure out, like, who are the people that you trust and respect, and you need to listen to them. And then you need to remember that there's two types of fools. Uh, the first one is who takes none of the advice that they're given, and the second fool is who takes all the advice that they're given. And And I... That that's really the best that I have at this, and it's it's difficult. Uh, the last little thing that I want to say is it, I I I'm a podcaster and a public speaker, and that evolve that that involves something called evaluations. These are terrifying things to read, but you got to read them. And it, as much as I hate to say it, the most honest, actionable feedback is negative feedback. Uh, you know, a lot of people write, oh, Gabe's the greatest. I love him so much. He has beautiful red hair. He makes me laugh. And listen, that, that, that boosts my confidence. I, I'm not saying that I need to ignore that. But when somebody writes something negative, I, I think, okay. Like, somebody had the courage to write. I mean, and I, I mean constructive. They're like, Gabe is ugly, obviously. I, I can't pay. I mean, if they write a constructive point, and I've gotten them before, you know, jokes about suicide. Maybe that's not funny. That that is something that I need to consider. Am I structuring my speech? Because I'm not joking about suicide, but there might be a joke before or after to lighten the mood. Did I not separate that out? Is that actionable? And if when I read something like that, I would go to Robert. I would go to Brady. I would go to you know, I, 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 Shanice. I I trust all of you. You're all advocates, and I'd say, hey, 
you were in the room, you heard my speech, what do you think? Is this a reasonable thing? And if all of you were like, you know, Gabe, I kind of thought the same thing, that, that I need to start working with you to make some changes. That, that's really the best that I have because we just don't have Nielsen uh, on our side here to measure how many people are saying our name in any given time. Yet, remember, world domination. When I'm in charge, you all get it for free. <laughs> that's um, speaking of changes, you know, 2020 has been a crazy year. I'm sure everyone who is listening or attending can uh, attest to that. Um, it has been coined uh, the year of the coronavirus, the year of COVID. It has been uh, the year of lockdowns and quarantines um, and even the year of racial reckoning in the United States and across the globe. And with all of these things happening, um, has it shifted? maybe your activism at all, whether it's in regards to your audience, your message, um, ha has it changed anything or, or made you maybe focus a little bit more on something um, than previously? Uh, I guess I'll start with you, Gabe. So, so here's like some unpopular real talk. The, the first thing is, obviously as a public speaker, I can't go out in public. So yeah, I, I think everybody's on board. I had to do a lot more stuff online. That that. That's that's annoying, uh, but you know it, it is what it is. I miss all of you. I'm 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 desperate for a hug from somebody that is not in my family. Uh, not gonna lie. I, but let's get that out of the way. You, you know when when all of the protests started and the 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 Black Lives Matter movement, you know, really took front and center stage. And I think because of the pandemic, I think either it got a lot more press than maybe it has in the past, or because of the pandemic and I was bored, I paid a lot more attention to it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started reading about it. And one of the things that, that, that I thought, again, this is Gabe Howard, not Healthy Voices, et cetera, is I thought, wow, I need to like be nicer to minorities. Like this is, this is messed up. Like I'm a middle-aged white guy in Ohio. I, I'm, I need to do something to help. And, uh, but I didn't know what to do. I, I honestly had no idea what to do. But but here I am. I'm I'm gonna figure it out. And I decided I'm gonna be super nice to people to, to people of color, to minority. Like that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna donate to their causes, etc. I'm just yay! I I did it right. Yeah, I, I felt so good. And, and then I talked to somebody, and they and I said, you know, look, I'm I'm just I, I'm being really nice to minorities right now. And somebody said to me. Uh, my African, or not yet, yeah, that sounds horrible. Uh, an African American gentleman that I know, a, a co worker, he said, You know, maybe you should just tell your fellow white people to stop it. I was like, What? He's like, You've never been in a room when somebody makes that, that off color joke and you just kind of laugh and move away because you don't want to cause a problem. Maybe stand up then. And uh, I recognize that this doesn't paint me in a favorable light because I was that guy. I didn't want to cause problems. I didn't want to blow up my thing. I just, I would just, I would just, I wouldn't say anything, but I would look down and just silence implies consent. And I, I thought I understood that concept. I did not understand that concept in any way. Now, whether that's because of the pandemic and I, I, I don't know, but I, I realized that not admitting that I had my own issues and there were things that I didn't understand was contributing to the problem. And that was a big moment in, in my ability to influence outcomes. Uh, I also realized that everybody's got to do a little. 
Like I thought, well, look, my advocacy is mental health. So I donate to the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center. Like I've done enough, but it's not enough, right? It's just, I wouldn't accept this from people that are like, well, yeah, we make fun of people with mental illness all the time, but it's okay because I donate to a mental health charity. You're like, you're an asshole. But there I was. I I sat silently in the room, but I I assuaged my guilt because I I made a charitable contribution. It's like it's like buying offsets, but like, you know, carbon offsets, but burning way too much gas. Yeah, maybe you should just like control your pollution level. Um, This was hard for me because I I didn't want to believe that that I was part of the voted for Hillary. Like I'm one of the good ones. Like that, that was my mentality and I was wrong. And and I think that is a big deal for me. I was going to say a lot of people, I think uh, like me and you and, you know, really felt that after sitting there and watching it all the time. But um, it's it's nice to hear your your truth and hear you speak that it's an encouraging gives a lot of people hope. Shanique, has any of the craziness in 2020 affected any of your activism in whether it's been uh, your audience or have maybe people been reaching out to you a little bit more to to share? You know, how has that changed any of of your your movements? Um, I have seen a really big increase in people reaching out to me. And I think it's because when you have these big life changing things happen and I mean, this is huge for everybody. It doesn't affect just one person's life. It affects everyone's life. Um, so many things that have happened this year, those things tend to cause triggers in how we live our life and how we deal with the stresses and the emotions. So I've had a lot of people reaching out to me, be, you know, not just the bariatric community. I mean, we, many of us are, it's because of our emotions and our, how we deal with our stresses and, day-to-day things that are going on in our lives that we end up using food as a salve or as a emotional kind of band-aid. So I I have a lot of people reaching out to me. So I have started to do a lot more online. I was always an online person because I'm very introverted and shy. But um, just as I was starting to come out of my shell, we got, you know, locked down, you know, everything kind of shut down. So in a way that was bittersweet for me, um, but I have started to try to reach out to people and meet them where they are, to bring them to me, the people that were looking for me or that may be looking for help. I try to meet them where they are and bring them to me and try to push myself out more so that I'm more visible for people to find me, uh, for resources, for help, for um, motivation, for whatever they may be needing in this time, because it's just a very challenging time with trying to figure out how to deal with things. and. Um, just in general, it's it's a very heavy feeling that can kind of take people in the wrong direction if they don't have connections or a community to go to or kind of hold on to, kind of keep them anchored. Well, thank you both for those authentic responses. Um, as new advocates, something that we've all that we all talk about, and um, we were just talking about the impact fund, is you know. You get this idea, but you're like, you know, I need a little bit of money to to get, you know, to get it rolling or, or something like that. Um, what are some ideas that you all have uh, and some attempts or things that you did in the past to kind of get your advocacy up off the ground? Janice? <laughs> I never reached out to anyone. I just always tried to do it on my own. Find free resources. The Internet is not the internet, but social media is free. So I've always just been very um, 
trying to let it grow organically, doing everything that I could think of to do, tried to be creative. Uh, like I said, never reached out to anybody, but always trying to take advantage of the resources when people would reach out to me, trying to ride that wave. If a company reaches out to me or a fellow advocate reached out to me, trying to ride the wave of whatever collaboration that was. Um, sometimes with minimal to no results, but like, you know, I always try to tell myself, you never know who's watching just because they're not connecting with you. Uh, just because they're not liking or commenting. You never know who's watching. I've had lots of really great people reach out to me and I'm like, wow, they noticed. So, you you know, I, I just remind myself that I am making an impact, whether people say it or not. It's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it so that, you know, I can be a presence. I can be a true, authentic um, resource, you know. Awesome. Gabe, um, what kind of resources or what kind of avenues did you take to try to get the ball rolling for you. One of the first thing that I did is I, I realized that what I do has value. And, and that, that was a, a big watershed moment for me. You know, I, I started off on this with, with, you know, saying things like, oh, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing this to, to save the world, which, which was very true. But you, you can't save the world without resources. I, I also realized very early on that people pay you what you're worth. And if you think you're worth zero, they pay you that, and then they think you're worth zero. One of my first or one of my last volunteer public speaking gigs, I, I drove out there. It was like a four-hour drive, my gas, my time. I, I gave the speech, standing ovation, tears in the audience, and I did this all for free. Now, negative money, really, and I realized that they'd spent $1,200 on linens, like the tablecloths, the napkins, like so my keynote speech was worth negative dollars to them, but linens, that had value. And I thought, okay, this is an advocacy point. We have, to, we have to show people that what we do is worth money. And if, if we're not going to advocate for ourselves, nobody's going to advocate for us. Uh, and, and I started, you know, the, the good news is I have a lot of friends who are artists. And, uh, you, you know, uh, comedians, uh, uh, musicians, artists, and they all get the same thing. Hey, will you play my wedding for the exposure? Yeah, what? Is there like a, like a record producer coming to your wedding? Like, well, what about for the practice? No. And I started to realize that's, that's what people were doing to me. Like, we'll help you get your message out if you come to our conference and speak for free. And, and then I realized that, you know, they're paying a, you know, some some star twenty five, thirty five thousand dollars to give the keynote. Why the the poor guy is is expected to work for free? And I made it an advocacy point to convince people that I was worth the money, that I would give them value, and approach it from a professional standpoint. And that allowed me more resources, more connections. And in the end, this is how I get a podcast out that everybody listens to for free. Uh, and now it's got sponsors and things like that, but but I, I was able to show the value. So I'm I'm reaching tens of thousands of more people by charging uh, versus the old method where I got exposure from a hundred people in a room at a conference in Akron, Ohio. Uh, but I guess I was pure. And but it it's hard. It it's hard. It, it takes some getting used to asking for money for this kind of work. Right. Um, and just about for me, what I wound up doing too, um, look out in your community, see if there's any, uh, you know, community-based organizations or nonprofits in your community that align with the same mission or goals and reach out to them and pitch your idea to them because they may have funding opportunities through grants and things like that um, that could kind of help perpetuate 
your ideas. Um, but if anyone else has any ideas, feel free to share. Um, we have some time, guys, for, for questions from the audience, if you'd like. There are a few questions that folks popped into the Q&A feature. Sure, yeah, I was, I'll go through with, um, with Mary Pettigrew. She, she asked, um, what was the turning point for you all which led for you to feel like it was time to, to share your stories and including others on radio or podcasts? You want to go first, Shanice? <laughs> sure. <laughs> the turning point for me was literally in the beginning. Um, like I said, the support groups and things, I just wanted to do everything that I could to be a resource. I wanted to get the message out. And um, a couple of the organizations that I am actually a part of, um, seeing their work and what their reach was and what their missions were, um, ending obesity bias and those kind of things really lit a fire in me to to just do more and be more and come up with ways that I could be a help. And that's what led me to apply for the impact fund. Um, like I said, I never asked for money or seek, uh, sought, you know, financial assistance until recently. And I'm like, I really want to do more. And, you know, so from the beginning, it's just been a gradual process of growth for me and wanting to do more and really being a voice, um, attending the Healthy Voices conference um, last year, I think, my very first year, that filled me up. It, I, I walked away with so much that I didn't even, it, it was unbelievable. It, it really lit a fire in me. And that's when I really upped the game with my advocacy. A big turning point for me, I, I, I was always very open about it because, you know, I don't know when to shut up. Uh, probably the biggest turning point for me is I, I, I wanted to do more and I, I don't remember, I, it, was, it was some holiday that I was sitting with my parents and I said, you, you know, I, I, I want to do more and I, I want to tell our story or I want to tell my story, but you know, my story involves you and it involves my siblings and the grandparents and strangers and plus you're, you're going to hear all the stuff that you don't know, which is startling for mothers. Uh, and I, I was really, I was hoping that they would shut that shit down, that mom and dad would just be like, shut up, you're embarrassing the family, don't do it. Like that's, I, that is what I was hoping for. I thought, okay, this is the out, I can blame mom and dad. And my parents were like, no, tell it all. You, you know, you could have died, we could have lost you. Like just, our, if your story, our story, the story prevents one family from suffering in the way that we did or worse, then all of the egg on our face that we had it, it, it is worth it. And I was like, well, now, now that was like the last barrier. And it, I, I did realize quickly that like, that's really cool in, in the mental health community. I, I talked to so many people in the hallways and they're like, I'd love to do what you do, but my, my family would disown me. They tell me not to air the family's dirty laundry. They tell me to keep my mouth shut. They're embarrassing grandma. And it, that was the last hurdle for me. Once that happened, it was <laughs> it was a, a giant redheaded train forward of this. And uh, yeah, thanks. This is my parents' fault. Like anybody who doesn't like me, blame my parents. That's, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> well, I, I see that a lot of us are doing a lot of things at once. Right, like we're um, developing as as individuals, we're learning new skills as advocates and all of that, and then we're also dealing with loss 
And one of the um, questions we have from Anonymous is what advice would you give patient advocates dealing with grief while trying to find ways through their own pain and helping others? This is big. This, this might, might be one of the most important things that we deal with because we are a, a community of people who are really sick, like super duper sick. And uh, some people in our community don't make it. And that is something that I, I live in fear of, uh, of losing my friends because I have experienced a lot of loss in my life. And um, I know from, from having had some horrific losses that we need help for our grief. So if you are in a situation where it's complex grief, where there might be symptoms of um, mental illness developing, it's, it's an emergency. You, you need a social worker or a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and you might need boundaries um, that are stronger than, than what you've had in the past. I know for myself, um, I went through a period of time after my mom died where I couldn't see anything about dead mothers. I just couldn't do it. And I needed like a dead mother force field and I couldn't even watch Grey's Anatomy or anything like that where they were going to put somebody on a ventilator. And even now with the whole COVID thing, anything with ventilators skews me out and I have to turn it off because I watched my mother choke to death on a ventilator and there was nothing to be done to save her. And that happened to her because she had untreated um, mental illness and some other health problems. So sometimes we have to retreat from, especially social media, we have to retreat from advocacy for a period of time because, you know, it's, it's fine to say, you know, you can't serve from an empty cup and all of that. And that's all true and that's all important. But I kind of almost don't care about that. What I care about is that you matter. Your life matters. Your life is right now. Your mental health is right now. So even if you could be the most useful person in the world by struggling on, so what? You matter. Your life is right now. And if you have to save your life by stopping whatever you're doing, do it. That's, that's what you have to do. And I mean, I say this as someone <laughs> who has really struggled uh, be, because of the, the way that my family has been and a lot of other stuff that has happened. And if there was one thing I could have back, it would be better boundaries and getting as much mental health care as I possibly could. Please, please do not let something terrible happen to you because you're trying to save somebody else. Do not let it happen. Like, I, I just, oh my God, do not die. That's what I tell people all the time on my Twitter because my people are, they're up against it. You know, some of them have been homeless. Some of them have no treatment for their disease. Some of them have every trauma in the world. So do not die stay alive, protect yourself, and get the best boundaries you can, and then tell your truth. You know, tell it the way that it needs to be told because grief is, is normal and it's the worst. It, it is the absolute worst. And that's, oh my God, yeah. So just take care of your grief no matter what. Did, did they get to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say one quick thing. You know, self-advocacy is advocacy. And I, be I believe that one of my jobs as an advocate is to model. It's model good behavior. 
So if, if I'm having issues and I think, oh, well, the rules don't apply to me, well, I'm modeling that the rules don't apply to me, which means somebody else is going to be like, well, if the rules don't apply to Gabe, they don't reply to me. I, yeah. I, I take that very seriously. I, unfortunately, I've seen mental health advocates break down publicly, and there's a ripple effect. There's a ripple effect of other people thinking, oh, well, I don't need to do this or that or whatever it is. And I, I just don't want to be that person. And it, it, once again, self-advocacy is advocacy. I, I think all of us made a commitment as advocates to help everybody with fill in the blank. You're a person with. If you're not helping yourself, you really have no business helping others. Uh, and and I, yeah. that, that's my philosophy. And, and I, it, it's hard sometimes. It, it's hard because I think I'm great. But I, I'm not. I'm, I'm a person. And I have to remember that. So the next question we have coming from uh, Ross McCreary. Um, Shanice, how about for you? What would your single most valuable recommendation be to new advocates that want to use their voice and share their story, but yet don't know how to get started? Community, community, community. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Do not be afraid to. I, I struggle with perfection complex. It's horrible. Everything has to be right. Everything has to look production ready. It, you know, I struggle with that and I'm learning to just let go and be. People don't want to relate to someone who's perfect. People want you as you are. People accept you as you are and you have to learn to accept yourself. You build yourself a community. You connect with people who understand you, people who want to help you pay it forward. You connect with like-minded people and like-minded communities that help build you up when you're down and it pulls itself full circle. It just it just keeps paying itself full circle. So that's my advice. <laughs> Thank you so much, Denise. Unfortunately, we are we have run out of time. I just want to tell everyone listening, um, or thank our guests real quick. Um, to everyone listening, please subscribe to us. Um, you can find us at Healthy Voices Radio on your favorite podcatcher of choice. And until then, we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. We're here, we're strong